TGIF. Thank God I'm forgiven. You thought I was going to say, thank God it's Friday. Nope. Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. It also stands for TJ, stands for not only Terry and Jesse, stands for truth and justice. And it stands for totally Jesus. This is high energy, blue collar, Catholic radio. And I'm reporting for duty, sir. Hey, this is the month of February. It's dedicated to the Holy Family. This special devotion began in the 17th century, which proposes the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as the model of virtue of all Christian households. This is the way it all began. This devotion spread, but in 1893, Pope Leo XIII expressed his approval of the Feast of the Holy Family. So it really took off. On account of the flight into Egypt, that story found in the Bible, the Feast of the Holy Family has been observed by the Coptic Christians from very early times because the Holy Family went to Egypt, Cairo, Egypt, and fled and hid from King Herod. The Feast of the Holy Family has been welcomed by many popes as a means of making known the true spirit of simple, pious, God-centered family life. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about in the in the next segment, Fifty Shades of Gay. Not Fifty Shades of Gray. Fifty Shades of Gay. Looking at Cardinal Fernandez's declaration signed by Pope Francis, Fiducia Supplicans. We're also going to look at what is the office of a bishop? Well, I'll show you that the main function of the office of a bishop is to admonish sinners. We'll take a look at that. And then at the end, the last segment, we're going to play a short little clip from who? Mother Angelica. Rest in peace. Pray for us. We're going to play a small little clip from Mother Angelica where she's going to answer the question, what is a woman? Which a lot of people have a hard time answering that question, including Supreme Court justices. Hmm. Couple of items on the news. There's a man who destroyed a satanic statue and he's been charged with a hate crime. Are you kidding me? There's an evangelical Christian gentleman, a Navy, a Navy veteran, who destroyed the satanic display in the Iowa State Capitol building just weeks before Christmas, and he's been charged with committing a hate crime for decapitating Satan, a statue of Satan. What is this world coming to? Also, Florida says no to gender identity on licenses. The administration of Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, good on him, announced that state residents must accurately indicate their sex on state-issued driver's licenses. An official stated that, quote, misrepresenting one's gender understood as sex on a driver's license constitutes fraud in Florida. Way to go, Governor DeSantis. Way to go. Also, how school choice benefits homeschoolers. In a recent op-ed piece, 
school choice advocate Corey DeAngelis and co-author Jason Biedrich, they explain how the school choice movement benefits private schools and even homeschooling families. Is it a wonder that the left wants to do away with homeschool choice benefits? Hmm. Also, Maryland bishops blasted assisted suicide bills. The Catholic bishops in Maryland have issued a strong response opposing the state's latest consideration of legalizing physician-assisted suicide. The bishops reiterated, quote, that all human life is created in the image and likeness of God and therefore sacred. Also, if you're struggling with marriage, February is all about the Holy Family, not just Valentine romances. So for those struggling in marriage or those who are still single and waiting for your vacation of marriage to start, a month, a month like this can be difficult. But here's a good reflection on the hope, comfort, and inspiration that comes when we look to the holy spouses of Mary and Joseph. Yes, look upon the holy family to draw your strength. That's what marriage looks like. I know it's hard, but let's look to the holy family as the icon and the paradigm of marriage. And also, a study came out, Gallup poll study recently, that says that Americans' trust in clergy has declined. That's kind of sad. Americans in 2023 last year viewed most professions as having low honesty and ethical standards, bringing trust ratings of these professions, including the clergy, to an all-time low. According to a recent Gallup poll, 32% of respondents viewed clergymen as having high honesty and ethical standards, which means that, uh, that the vast majority, which would be, what, 78% of Americans don't believe that the clergy has high honesty and high ethical standards. Well, let's take a look at God's holy word today. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. By the way, today is the first Friday of the month. Try to get to Holy Mass, uh, if at all possible. And remember the, f- the first Friday devotions and the first Saturday devotions. This is, a good day to, this is a good way to start the year. And another good thing to do today is go to confession. Say, hey, first Friday, you know what? I'm going to confession today. That would be another good thing to do today for Good Friday. As one of your, your the things that we're supposed to do on Friday, those penitential acts, we're supposed to offer something to the Lord. Hey, discomfort yourself and get in your car and go drive to the, and wait in line and uh, <clears throat> examine your conscience and go to confession today for First Friday. Offer that to the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Today's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 40, says, When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictates in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. 
he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was, at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fallen rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself, a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Huh. At that instant, she now became our lady of sorrows at the foot of the cross. That's who she was at the foot of the cross, Our Lady of Sorrows. The Bible says there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the, tribe of, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage. And then as a widow until she was 84, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was with him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A couple things I want to mention. <clears throat> the purification, our Lord, uh, this purification ritual. The birth of every male child disqualifies an Israelite woman from touching any holy object or approaching the temple for 40 days, after which time she must offer sacrifice in Jerusalem, as it says in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. So strictly speaking, these offerings cleanse the women of legal impurity and have no connection with moral failures or guilt. Mary here given the, gives the sacrifice of the poor two turtle doves or two pigeons as required in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. Several church fathers, they hold that Mary had no legal impurity to atone for. She nevertheless conformed herself to the Mosaic law to avoid scandalizing others. Her submission was similar to that of Jesus, who was sinless, yet received John's baptism of repentance. It also talks about in verse 23 about every male, every male child to the Lord. This is a paraphrase of Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. It implies either that Jesus is consecrated as a priest or that he was purchased from the Levites by a redemption price of five shekels. Either way, Mary and Joseph fulfill the law faithfully and completely. And they're called holy because of that. Terry and Jesse show up next. We're going to be talking about 50 shades of gay. Hmm. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This segment of the Terry and Jesse show is brought to you by Tan Books. Go to vmpr.org and click on the Tan Books logo to shop for all your Catholic book needs. Shop Tan Books by clicking on the logo on your website. And also, I just want to invite those of you 
that live out there by Aquinas Communications Radio Network. Tomorrow, February 3rd, from 11 a.m. to 12 noon, they're going to have a rosary rally at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Gutenberg, Iowa. So uh, join the evangelization team at Aquinas Communications for their monthly rosary rally, which will be held inside the church at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Gutenberg, Iowa. I'm looking at the parish. It is drop-dead beautiful. All right. Fifty Shades of Gay. Parental advisory, (laughs) explicit content, what I'm going to talk about right now. That's not that bad. So, let me quote to you some scripture before I get into this dark topic of Cardinal Fernandez's uh, document that he put out that was signed, undersigned by Pope Francis. The Bible says, quote, For thou, O God, art my strength. The Bible says, Thy light and thy truth, they have conducted me and brought me unto thy holy mountain and into thy tabernacles. The Bible says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life. The Bible says, My faithfulness and my kindness shall be with him, and through my name shall his horn be exalted. The Bible says, We offer unto thee, O Lord, the chalice of salvation, beseeching thy clemency, that it may ascend before thy divine majesty as a sweet savor for our salvation and for that of the whole world. The Bible says, Deliver me by this, thy most sacred body and blood from all iniquities and from all evils and make me never to be separated from thee. The Bible says, let not the partaking of thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, which I thou, which I though unworthy, presume to receive, turn to my judgment and condemnation. But let it be through thy mercy become a safeguard and remedy both for soul and body. And finally, May thy body, O Lord, which I have received, and thy blood which I have drank, which I have drunk, cleave to my bowels and grant that no stain of sin may remain in me who have been fed with this pure and holy sacrament. Well, guess what? Only a few of those things are found in the Bible. These supplications that I actually that I actually read to you, they're taken from the Latin Mass. Yes. These supp- these beautiful, godly, God-centered supplications are taken from the daily text of the extraordinary form of the Mass. And notice as I read them, these supplications are replete with emotion, with beauty, with mysticism, with with elation. These supplications in the Latin Mass, they tell the story of union between man and God. With With the priest standing as the bridegroom, in persona Christi Capitis, in union with his bride, the church, it is mysterious and beautiful. Think about it. If one were to write a book about right relation and intimacy with God, why could he not fill unending volumes with the mystical nature of the holy sacrifice of the Mass? That's all you need. In fact, but one section is necessary. In the Latin Mass, it says, He blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and, take and eat ye all of this, for this is my body. Take and drink ye all of this, for this is the chalice of my blood. Close quote. The prayers of the Mass are just rich with the mystery of God, the mystery of our faith. 
I mean, where do you begin? The sacrifice of Christ to offer himself to us as food, not just language, but the reality of the incarnation. This is all the mysticism and intimacy we human beings long for. Why didn't Cardinal Fernandez write a book about the mysticism and the intimacy found at Mass? This expression alone is what made the crucifixion on Friday the sacrifice of deicide rather than just a Roman execution. It was the killing of God, deicide. The sacrificial nature of Christ's love is mysticism. It is intimate and sublime and miraculous. What more do you need? What more is there indeed? Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's eroticism. There's perversion. There's uh, a mystical passion. A mystical passion is not about, it's not the same as an erotic mystical passion. Okay? Cardinal Fernandez didn't want to write a book about the Mass. He didn't want to write a he didn't want to write an interpretation of the Song of Songs or the Ecstasy of St. Teresa. He wanted to write a different book. He wanted to write a book in which he could use the word orgasm. Why? Because he's a nasty man. That's why. Just tell it like it is. Okay? We used to call these men nasty men. That's exactly what he is. And in the aftermath of Cardinal Victor Emmanuel Fernandez's book, The Mystical Passion, Spirituality and Sensuality, commentators more qualified than myself or this writer of this article have weighed in with many opinions. In fact, for fear of temptation, I'm not going to read this book, nor am I ever going to read this book. The chapters from Cardinal Fernandez's book, they should be submitted to the Penthouse Forum, or they should be submitted to Playboy Magazine, or submitted to Lady Chatterty's Lover. The work includes a detailed depiction of an imaginary erotic encounter with Jesus Christ on the shores of Galilee, which Cardinal Fernandez said was based on a spiritual experience disclosed to him by a 16-year-old girl. Boy, that's nasty. Okay, 40-year-old priest having this type of conversation with a 16-year-old girl about an orgasm? Are you kidding me? And guess what? Three years before writing this, his second nasty book, he wrote a first nasty book called The Mystical... Before he wrote the second nasty book, The Mystical Passion, he had already written another book called Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing, which was also directed at teenagers. I mean, does this raise your eyebrows about this man? And he's the head of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith? I mean, he was Father Fernandez back then, or Marcina Fernandez, I get that. And now, he's Cardinal Fernandez? This guy's going to be eligible to vote for the next pope? I wonder who he's going to vote for the next pope. I don't know, I guess the CEO of Playboy or Penthouse, right? Or one of, uh, one of the guys that w- went over to Epstein's Island. Why? Why would Cardinal Fernandez write these particular books, The Mystical Passion and then The Art of Kissing? Why would he write these particular books? I'll tell you what. When somebody writes, it gives you a sense of what kind of person they are. Let's just be honest. 
the it, because when somebody starts writing books, you get a glimpse into their mind. You say, what's this person thinking about? Spends a lot of time meditating on these things because he's put thousands of words in paper and edited and re-edited and added and taken away and redacted. Uh, yeah, when somebody writes a book, they put a long, a lot of thought into it. Carlo Fernandez spends a lot of time thinking about kissing and orgasms, okay? I'm just going to tell you. Just be honest. And this is the kind of perverted mind with which Pope Francis chooses to surround himself with. It breaks my heart. That's why I pray for the Pope every day. If Cardinal Fernandez's goal was to explore the mystical and mysterious intimacy with God, his mind could have been filled by the traditional Latin Mass with all the beautiful mysticism and prayers and intimacy in that liturgy. But Cardinal Fernandez, he did not, he did not need to invent texts which discusses the possibility of reaching a kind of, of fulfilling an orgasm in our relationship with God, which does not imply so much physical alterations, but simply that God manages to touch the sole corporeal center of pleasure so that a satisfaction that encompasses the entire person is experienced. And that's what happens at the Latin Mass, at traditional liturgies, at sol- even at, at, at solemn novus ordo masses, which are rare, by the way. Our spiritual fathers would have called this trash blasphemy, what Cardinal Fernandez wrote, blasphemy. His language suggests an awareness of the physicality that is only appropriate between a man and his bride. Not among the targeted youth, nor among two men for that matter. Cardinal Fernandez is no ally to traditional and conservative Catholics. Put that out there right away. His books, those two books that he wrote 20 years ago, and his warped way of thinking are part and parcel of why. Why? This man is not fit for his office. This man is not fit for his office. There's been an international hue and cry and pushback against Cardinal Fernandez and his documents and his books. And you know what? We need to pile on. We need to pile on. And we need to keep asking that this man be removed as the chief catechist, the chief theologian on planet Earth. We can't forget these two books that he put out, The Art of Kissing and The Mystical Passion. It should not be forgotten. It should be highlighted and it should fester as conversation that will one day eventually purify the Catholic Church because that's what we're looking for, the purification and the exaltation of Holy Mother the Church. And we should not move on from this topic. This topic, these filthy writings, this over, this uh, focusing on the below the waist <laughs> and the denying that below the waist are the sixth and ninth commandments that Our Lady of Fatima warned us about that most people will go to hell because of the sixth and ninth commandment. The rejection of realizing that the sixth and ninth commandment Our Lady of Fatima gave us a a storm warning. This is part of the struggle for the soul of the Catholic Church here on earth. And our righteous anger at this offense is justified. We are angry. 
we do have righteous anger. But do the right thing. Let this drive you to prayer and penance and fasting. And yes, we must speak out against these filthy books written by Cardinal Fernandez, who sits as the chief theologian of the Catholic Church today. We are honor-bound to take offense on behalf of Holy Mother Church and come to her defense. Remember Archbishop Sheen said about the lady, who's going to save our church? It's not our bishops, it's not our priests, and it's not the religious. It's up to you, the people of God. You have the minds, the eyes, and the ears to save the church. What is Cardinal Fernandez's real job? To save souls and admonish sinners. We'll talk about that next. Up next, the office of the bishop is to admonish sinners and save their soul. We'll be right back. We are back, the Terry and Jesse Show. This segment is brought to you by Charity Mobile. When shopping for a phone company, why not choose one that is pro-life? Just call 877-474-3662 and mention Virgin Most Powerful Radio to support the show. That's 877-474-3662. Well, moving right along. The office of the bishop is to admonish sinners. The Catholic Encyclopedia, I was doing a little research on Pope Gregory the Great. He wrote a little book. It was called Book of of Pastoral Care. And, And this little book is really the key to Pope Gregory's life. Here's what it is. Here's what he wrote. Or here's what the encyclopedia says about Pope Gregory. For what he preached, Pope Gregory, he practiced. It remained for centuries the textbook of the Catholic bishops, so that by its influence, the ideal of the great Pope has molded the character of the church and his spirit has spread into all lands. So, the author of this article says, My title above overstates Gregory's thesis but only by a little bit. Of the four books in his work, book number three is devoted solely to how a bishop is to admonish different classes differently, men from women, poor from rich, sincere from insincere, married from not married, much as you would expect. But also, interestingly, he has shown on how differently to admonish, quote, those who have had experience of carnal intercourse, close quote, from, quote, those who are ignorant of it, close quote, and those who are overcome by sudden passion from those who are bound guilt, who are bound in guilt of set purpose. Okay? The author writes, I said it was only by a bit that I overstated Gregory's thesis because book number three on how to admonish is almost three times longer than books number one, two, and four. So, our word admonish has harder, harsher connotations than the Latin admonere, which carries over tones of friendliness, wanting what is best for another, and not wanting to humiliate or embarrass 
another. St. John Bosco, whose feast we just celebrated, was an expert at this kind of admonishment. Here's a word to the wise, it's sufficient. That is, simply to indicate that something is to be done or avoided is sufficient admonishment to the wise. And yet, undeniably, an admonishment is a correction and not without inducement to fear of God. Might a bishop on St. Gregory's terms solely welcome, solely embrace, solely accompany, solely bless, neglecting necessary admonishment at every step? Of course not. No. Because a bishop should be zealous for righteousness. A bishop must be alert, indignant, aroused, Yeah, even rigid. Absolutely. Rigid against any sort of sin. Indeed, he says, Pope Gregory the Great says, insofar as the sheep in his flock act peaceably and righteously, a bishop has no standing as unequal to rule over them. In humility, A bishop must recognize himself as simply a companion of those who live well. Rather, the office of a bishop that he holds, whereby he enjoys some kind of inequality over others to rule, is divinely ordered specifically as the correction of vice. And I have to say that Pope Francis and Cardinal Fernandez and the present Holy See, they failed in this regard. They're failing. The article says he, a bishop, has harsh, Pope Gregory has harsh words for bishops who boss around others, that's called clericalism, for the purpose of domination. And he warns of their divine punishment. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 48. But an even more grievous delinquency, Pope Gregory says, is when among perverse beings, equality is kept up more than discipline. Pope Gregory means by equality, accompanying others who are not living well as companions as though they were living well without due correction. Does that sound familiar? Pope Gregory the Great gives a biblical example of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Eli, who, quote, overcome by false affection, would not punish his delinquent sons. Close quote. But guess what? God will not be mocked because there, thereby God smote or punished or struck himself along with his sons before the strict judge with a cruel doom. Yes, of course, a pastor may show not only zeal against the sin, but also compassion. Not only justice, but also mercy. But attention to correction and attention to justice come first. And the other things work as if by moderating and soothing. Pope Gregory the Great, his anchoring text is right here. Pope Gregory quotes Ezekiel 34, verse 4. It says, quote, That which was broken, you have not bound up. And that which was cast away, you have not brought back. Close quote. In other words, what's Ezekiel the prophet saying and Pope Gregory? To fail to correct a sin is to bind up the fracture. To fail to do so with loving kindness 
is to cast away what was brought back. Pope Gregory the Great says that care should be taken that a guide, a rector, show himself to those under him as a mother in loving kindness and as a father in discipline. There's much wanting both to discipline and to compassion, if one be had without the other. And Pope Gregory gives a, a startling interpretation of the mercy showed by the Good Samaritan in the parable. For thence, it is that, as the truth teaches in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, the man who is brought by the care of the Samaritan, half dead into the inn, and both wine and oil are applied to his wounds, the wine to make them smart, in other words, and the oil to soothe them. For whosoever superintends the healing wounds, the healing of wounds, must needs administer in wine the smart of pain, and in oil the softness of loving kindness to the end that through wine what is festering may be purged, and through oil what is curable may be soothed. Gentleness, then, is to be mingled with severity. A sort of compound is to be made of both, so that subjects be neither exulcerated by too much asperity, nor relaxed by too great kindness. Pope Gregory the Great says, If through a pastor's instruction or declaration... The wounds, the sins, do not sting. If they do not feel as though they can bite and cut, if they do not vex and grieve, the pastor has simply failed to do his job. He has not done the half of it because neither then will his attempts to soothe and mollify have any good effect. Hence, David, in Psalm 23, verse 4, says, Lord, your rod and your staff, they have comforted me. Close quote. For with the rod we are smitten. Think about that. And with the staff we are supported. So the rod and staff of God both punishes. And it also supports us in our walk with the Lord. In the Holy Mass, Scripture homily and, and homily. It should play more the role of reproof at Mass. To reprove us in God's word. While the Eucharist is part of the comforting part of the Mass. The Gospels should challenge us and reprove our behavior. And the Eucharist is the medicine. So, St. Gregory the Great says, he says this, quote, is well signified by that ark of the tabernacle in which together with the tables there is a rod and manna. Because if with the knowledge of sacred scripture the good pastor's breast there is the rod of constraint. There should be also the manna of sweetness. Do not be deceived, Pope Gregory the Great says, only in the supreme governance of God or justice and mercy, so thoroughly intermingled that his mercy, that his mercy simply is his justice. Subordinate authorities, such as bishops, must attain to each separately, while combing them. I want to give a couple of words of encouragement to our, to our priests. <clears throat> Specifically, I want to talk to those young people that may have a call to seminary or that are currently in seminary right now. If you're currently in seminary, young man, stay close to the authentic teachings of the Catholic Church. 
Stay under Our Lady's mantle with the rosary. Stay close to the sacred heart of Jesus in the tabernacle and study and emerge ready for battle. Get ordained if that's God's will for you. And take back the church. Young man in seminary or young seminarian, know this. You will spend your life in this war. If you want to get to heaven, you'll have to die fighting it. But fight, you must. And remember, you have the angels on your side. Young man in seminary, you're called to be a great saint. Don't miss the opportunity. Young man in seminary, remember, you serve the Virgin Most Powerful, a 12-star general. Pray the rosary every day. Read the scriptures every day. And by by doing so, unite your prayers to the heel of the Blessed Virgin Mary and unite your prayers to the Sword of St. Michael. Up next, we're going to be talking about all things Catholic. You're going to hear a little video of Mother Angelica. What is the woman by Mother Angelica? Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. TJ Show, Truth and Justice, Totally Jesus. This segment is brought to you by Catholic Resource Center. Go to catholicrc.org and explore the entire library filled with inspiring productions on the classic teachings of the Catholic faith. The entire catalog is free for $25 donors who support Virgin Most Powerful. So, let's talk about what is a woman. Mother Angelica answered this beautifully, this question beautifully, back in 1997. A a lot of people, including a current Supreme Court justice, doesn't know what a woman is. And we know this because Matt Walsh, a Catholic author and columnist, as well as the host of the Matt Walsh podcast, He released a 2022 film asking the very question, what is a woman? And you'd be surprised how many women in America don't know what a woman is. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? A woman. What is a woman? She brings life, new life. She's like, well, she's like Jesus. She's a go-between. She's an advocate. The Jesus intercedes for us to the Father. She is noble because she takes the blame sometimes. She is a friend. Because that warm love that you need to grow. She's a mortar between all the brick that make up your family, that make you a house, a home. She saves you from a lot of trouble. She's an intercessor. She worries about you. Constantly prays that you don't goof off and lose your soul. That's what a woman is, beautifully answered. 
back in 1997 by Mother Angelica. And we have uh, judges sitting in the Supreme Court today and politicians sitting in uh, in Congress and in the Senate that don't know what a woman is. Not too long ago, somebody sent me a short little video uh, of a little girl that was asked in a in a uh, catechism class, seven year old girl preparing for her first Holy Communion and and for confirmation and for uh, the sacrament of confession. And so the catechist asked the class, what is a woman? Raise your hand. And the seven year old girl raised her hand and said, a woman is a big girl. From the mouth of babes. A woman is a big girl. Well, Mother Angelica gave us more depth into what a woman is than that seven-year-old. She says that a woman's an intercessor. A woman worries about you. A woman constantly prays that you don't goof off and lose your soul. While those answers may seem completely obvious to us, This question, what is a woman, has stirred much controversy and debate in our country because of the woke left. Within the last couple of years, people have taken to social media to express their opinions with many who hold a traditional viewpoint. And guess what they're doing to us? They're just canceling us. Yep. But you can count on good old Mother Angelica, founders of EWTN, Mother Angelica, Mother Mary Angelica of the Annunciation, she answered this question several years ago. Let me, let me read what she said. She said, ah, oh, what is a woman? She brings life, new life. She's like Jesus. She's a go-between. She's an advocate. Jesus intercedes for us to the Father. She's noble because she takes the blame. Sometimes she's a friend. She's that warm love you need to grow. She's a mortar between all the brick that make up your family. They make you a house, a home. She saves you from a lot of trouble. She's an intercessor. She worries about you. Constantly prays that you don't goof off and lose your soul. Close quote. Mother Angelica not only describes so much of what encompasses being a woman, but in turn a mother. She calls the woman an intercessor and a friend. What a beautiful clip. Thank you, Mother Angelica. One can only think of the blessed mother, the most perfect woman, and the most perfect mother ever to exist. I'll tell you, men can do a lot of things. Absolutely. Men are capable of great achievements. But one thing a man can't do is be a woman. That's not one thing a man can do. Can't be a woman. In the book of Genesis, the Bible teaches us this most fundamental aspect of our creation. The church emphasizes this difference in the catechism, in sexes, and genders, Paragraph 369, it says, quote, man and woman, not 40 genders, not 50, have been created, which is to say, willed by God, on the one hand, in perfect equality as human persons, on the other, in the respective beings as man and woman, being man or being woman is a reality which is good and willed by God. Men and women possess an inalienable dignity which comes to them immediately from God, their creator. Men and women are both with one, And the same dignity in the image of God. In their being man and being woman. They reflect the creator's wisdom and goodness. The text continues in paragraph 372 of the catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, man and woman were made for each other. 
Not that God left them half made and incomplete. He created them to be a communion of persons in which he, in which each, excuse me, can be helpmate to the other. For they are equal as persons, bone of my bones, and complementary as masculine and feminine. In marriage, God unites them in such a way that by forming one flesh, they can transmit human life, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. By transmitting human life to their descendants, men and women as spouses and parents cooperate in a unique way in the creator's work, close quote. So Mother Angelica so wonderfully captures the intricate nature of being a woman and only inculcates further what we are taught in the Bible and in the catechism. She said, a woman, co-author of life, partner, intercessor, friend, lover, and mother, is created with intention and purpose. The Lord is clear in the way he made us in his image. While we're called to be compassionate, we're also called to be truthful. And guess what? You can't cancel the truth, and you can't take a vote on the truth. The truth is what sets us free, and the truth is a person. And you cannot, you cannot take a, a, a vote on the truth. The Catechism also talks about the male and female construct in paragraph 1601 of the Catechism. It says, the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish themselves a partnership of the whole life is by its nature ordered towards the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant made between baptized persons has been raised has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. The reason it is, it's a sacrament is because both parties are baptized, they for, therefore they confer grace upon each other. That's how we're going to get to heaven, within the sacramental construct. Anita's my sacrament to get to heaven, and I, Jesse, Jess, am Anita's sacrament for her to get to heaven. There's a couple of good books that I would recommend to all Catholic women. My wife has read all of them, and she definitely recommends them as well. One of the books that I recommend to all Catholic women is called, it's written by Carrie Gress. Carrie Gress, she's actually, she's actually written two books that I recommend. Number one is called The, the Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity by, by Carrie Gress. She talks about the demonic influence on women today in the late 60s, a small group of elite American women convinced an overwhelming majority of the country that destroying the most fundamental of relationships, that of the mother and child, was necessary for women to have productive and happy lives. That's a lie. The second woman, the second book I recommend for all Catholic women is by, again, Carrie Gress. It's called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. This author looks at the earliest roots of feminism and many contemporary feminists speak about how the movement was hijacked by Marxist ideologies of the 1960s and 1970s. The author Carrie Gress, this is her second book, she looks at the philosophical ideas behind feminism's first wave. And the next book that I would recommend to all Catholic females is the book called Ask Your Husband by Stephanie Gordon. Ask Your Husband by Stephanie Gordon. In that book, Stephanie Gordon explains how this proposition, ask your husband, proves to be required by scripture 
and by 2,000 years of church of Catholic teaching. And so this book instructs Catholic wives how properly to serve their husbands in Christian marriage by emulating Our Lady and by embracing the household patriarchy, just as Mary did. So in the book, I know it's not a popular title, but it's true. Ask Your Husband is a countercultural manifesto of the, of the domicile, of the home life, against the fetid rot of feminism. Christian wives should employ this book in their labors to rehabilitate the wayward, popular Christian view of their sexual roles, their souls, their marriages, and their mothering. So there you go. Three books I recommend. Ask Your Husband by Stephanie Gordon, The End of Women, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us by Carrie Gress, and The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity, femininity, also by Carrie Gress. Well, that's a wrap, folks. We've come to the end of Friday, TGIF. Thank God I'm forgiven. You know, I'm excited. You know where I'm going after this? I'm going to the Sacrament of Confession. You know why? First Friday. Got to get the soul of the box. Need those sanctifying graces. And so for all of you, I, uh, I, I wish you a happy, holy, blessed weekend. Remember, St. Padre Pio says, pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful. God will hear our prayer. And I know a lot of people, they go to school to work for all these degrees after their names. That's cool. That's fine. But let's work for that one degree before our name. That's ST. It's a much more difficult degree to attain. It takes a lifetime, and you don't get your diploma until you're dead. That's a wrap. Know your Catholic faith. Live your Catholic faith. Spread your Catholic faith. Live in a state of grace. Be holy or die trying. See you next week. God bless you. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Keep the faith.